So we are in a series called Certain Future. And lots of things, of course, we know, we get, lots of things are uncertain in our day. But there are certain things that the Bible says are for sure. And we've been sort of tracking since Easter Sunday morning, we've been tracking those things from resurrection uh, to death to judgment. All these things are sure in the Bible. And today we come to a, a topic that really the church has kind of quit talking about because this is not popular, but according to the scripture, it's very certain. And it's the topic of hell. I really believe this might be the first message that I've preached solely focused on hell. And so as we jump into this from Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31, I want to say two things on the upfront because I want to set the stage for you here in the beginning. And that is this, is that everything that comes after this about hell that you're getting ready to learn, you need to go into this knowing that Christ is victorious over Satan and his demons, over the work of the enemy. He's already won the battle, and he is sovereign over hell. So we can trust God in this and the things that we learn, and we, can, we have hope in Jesus, and you'll see what I, I mean. The second thing that we have to really hold on to by way of introduction as we, as we move into this is that we have to know from the very beginning in the scriptures, that sin will be judged. So sin is the problem. Uh, those things that we do that rebel against God, that are disobedient uh, to God, that are choosing our own way as opposed to choosing the way of God, that kind of action, behavior, that sin, that re rebellion will be squashed and there will be justice offered on the cross of Jesus Christ for all who would believe or executed in hell for those who would not believe or receive Jesus. According to the scripture, this is very certain. Now, I want to use Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31 as our text for today. So if you would, let's, uh, let's read this. Beginning in verse 19, it says this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who, was, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed and, and from what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now... He is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not do so, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that, they may, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. 
He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, these, this is a teaching of Jesus specifically talking about uh, hell, the chasm between heaven and hell, and who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And these are important things for us to learn. I think it's a great passage for it. So let's just break this down uh, so that we all understand this teaching of Christ. So first, we see two men with very different eternal destinies, two men with very different eternal de- destinies. So there is, a, there is a rich man. What we know about this rich man is that he is Jewish by birth, based on the context of the scripture. So he believes he's going to heaven just because he was born in a particular place by a particular family. Now, I'll just out the United States of America and say there's some people in the United States of America that think they're just going to heaven because they were born to a particular family in a particular country, and they label themselves Christian. And what I want us to see from the get-go is that, that that's not always just true based on where, where we're born or who our, our family is. But this is a rich man. He's Jewish by birth. Now, this, the text says that he's clothed in purple. Clothed in purple signifies at least that this man thinks that he is royalty. He views himself as better than everyone else. It shows us that he has fine linen. It tells us how he eats, that he feasted sumptuously, meaning he had the finest wine, the finest food, the greatest table. Uh, He feasted sumptuously, and this is an every day. I mean, literally, it says, Jesus said, this man feasted sumptuously, sumptuously every day. This is a man who indulges all of his appetites because he has the wealth to do it, and he just assumes because his father is Abraham, because he was born in that particular lineage, that he is going to heaven. Now, verse 20, there's a different kind of man. Uh, well, let me, let me back up and say this. This is not the only time that Jesus uses a rich man uh, to illustrate a lost person. Uh, and, and in fact, it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 25 to 27, it says this, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. So Jesus is saying to us, and it's clear to me in the 21st century, that rich people have a tendency to rely on themselves instead of crying out to God for salvation. They believe they're good enough, strong enough, self-indulgent enough that that they deserve sort of this, this heaven, that they are a royalty of sort, clothed in purple and all those things. And it says it's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. People have spun that all different ways, but the way I read it in the context of the original language is Jesus is really using an illustration to say it'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Yet we get verse 27, a rich man can be saved. God can do what's, po- what's impossible uh, with man, but it's a difficulty. Uh, our wealth 
um, gets in the way sometimes of our dependence on God. So there is this rich man, and this is what we learn about him. He's got this eternal destiny that is what the text is going to call Hades. And then there's a poor man. It tells us the poor man is a poor and he's a believer, verse Verse, uh, 20, verse 20, and at his gate, now this rich man is so rich that he has a gate at his house. At his gate laid a poor man. And that word poor is the Greek word tokos. It, is, it means begging poor. Now, interestingly, Jesus uses this same word in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, tokos, begging poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Now, this is how we have to come to Jesus for salvation, is poor in spirit, humbled, knowing we can't do anything to save ourselves, that we need Jesus, the one and only way to eternal life in in heaven. So this is a poor man contrasted with this rich man. His name is Lazarus. Jesus gives us his name. That word Lazarus, that name Lazarus means helped by God. So here's a begging poor man named Lazarus, which means helped by God. It tells us that his body is covered with sores in contrast with, with, with the rich man who is clothed in purple. Here is one who is covered in sores. That means that he's unclean. He can't even go to the temple or the synagogue to worship because he is unclean. It, it, it appears that this poor man <clears throat> just has no ability to access God. It tells us that he wanted to be fed from the crumbs of the rich man's table. He just hopes that the bread that's left over from that rich man's table that he will put outside the gate for the poor man to eat. That is his only hope in life. His life is tough. It's difficult. In fact, it goes on to say Jesus just continues to add an illustration to this poor man. It says, even the dogs licked his sores. Now, this is a, this is, this is a stark contrast. Rich man, he's got an eternal destiny, Hades. Now, we're going to find that this poor man has a very different eternal destiny. It's a, des- a destiny in, in heaven. Now, <clears throat> both die. In this, in this narrative, both die. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, the old King James, some of you may connect with from way back, called it Abraham's bosom. I remember asking my mom a long time ago, like maybe when I was eight years old or nine years old, like, what is Abraham's bosom? That, that makes no sense to me. So this is just living in the promise of Abraham. Uh, which comes through Jesus and gives us this place called heaven. So the poor man died and is carried by the angels to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. Now notice the poor man doesn't even have a, a, a burial. He doesn't, he doesn't even have people in his life who would give him a proper burial, which is a very big deal in the first century Jewish culture. The rich man died. He gets a rich man's burial But it says his eternal destiny, verse 22, he was buried and in Hades, meaning that he goes to hell. Now, there are three words in the context of Scripture for hell. In the Hebrew, it is Sheol, and then in the Greek, we get Hades and we get Gehenna. All of them represent this certain place called hell in the Scriptures, And this is 
This is a, a place that we, we have to calm in our mindset when, when we begin to look at these two different men and their eternal destinies. They had different lives together. They Obviously, the poor man was a believer. The rich man just believed because he was born, born Jewish that he would go to, go to heaven. The poor man was a believer who was helped by, by God. Uh, poor man ends up in heaven, rich man in Hades, a literal place called hell. Now, I want to make some observations about hell based on this text, because this is Jesus' teaching, so he would know about this better than anybody else, and here's what we learn. If you pick it up in verse 23, and in Hades, the man is described as being in torment. So what we know first from this passage of Scripture about hell is that it is a place of torment. Right, so I don't know all the ins and outs of what that torment is, what it is like. We can, we can infer some things based on Scripture. You've got in your mindset probably a cartoonish view of hell, a devil and a pitchfork, you know, horns. Um, it, it, it seems bad, but maybe not so bad. And what we see Jesus describing here is a man that is wrought with torment in a literal place called hell. Now, if you continue to follow this, so one, wrought with torment. Two, it says, he lifted up his eyes, the rich man, and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. So not only is it wrought with torment, this place called hell, but what we learn is that the rich man is in anguish in the flame. Now, this is is a, a, a clear picture that we get of hell all through Scripture, is that that things are being burnt in the flame, yet they don't burn up. That's part of the torment. And this man, this rich man who was once clothed in purple, who once feasted sumptuously, is now asking this this father Abraham to send Lazarus, the begging poor man who now is in heaven, with one drop of water on his little finger to cool his tongue. In, in In the rich man's mind who is in hell, that one drop of water would be relief. That's the kind of torment that we're talking about when we look at the picture of hell that Jesus paints here. Anguish in the flame. A drop would be relief. Now, there's an awful reminder and a good reminder here. Verse 25, it gives us the awful reminder that for the person who is not a believer... For the person who is not a believer, life, whatever we're living now, for the unbeliever, life is as good as it gets. Eternal life is wrought with torment and anguish in the flame in a certain place called hell, according to the scriptures, right? So the reminder is that life is as good as it gets for the unbeliever. There's also a good reminder, verse 25. The flip side would be the reminder that life is as bad as it gets for those who believe. Now, I don't know about your life. I know about my life. I'm glad this isn't as good as it gets 
I'm grateful for life. I have hope every day. But man, we have some mountaintops and we have some deep valleys and we have some all in between. And I'm just glad this isn't as good as it gets. So for the believer, you have hope looking forward to the heaven to heaven. For the unbeliever, you have this reminder that life is as good as it gets. Wear your purple cloth now. Eat sumptuously now because according to the scripture, the afterlife for the unbeliever is literally hell. Now here's another observation, another thing that we learned. There is a great chasm between heaven and hell. Verse 26, it says, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. You can't pass from one side to the other. There is no possible way. So we learn in life, according to the scripture, there's one way to heaven. His name is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Everyone who comes to, the, to, to me will be saved. Everyone who believes will be saved, but there will be a judgment, a separation. Those who have not believed will go to a literal place called hell. Now, the, the last observation that Jesus gives us here in this passage of Scripture is that the occupant of hell, the rich man, begs Abraham to send Lazarus to go tell his brothers, like, please go tell my brothers that are still living Would you raise Lazarus from the dead and send him to go tell my brothers because I don't want them to be here. This is so bad, I don't want them to be here. And it's interesting, and irony upon irony, so when Jesus is teaching this, he has not yet been crucified. He has not yet been put in the tomb. He has not yet been raised to walk again. He has not yet ascended to the heaven. He is teaching, knowing that his crucifixion and resurrection is coming, and he reminds us here that the the simple fact is true, that a person, if they won't listen to the word of God, and in this case he says Moses and the prophets, that's the Old Testament, if they won't listen to the word of God, they won't even listen if a dead man rises from from the grave. The most miraculous thing you can think about. And if you, you know, hindsight is 2020. We know a dead man, Jesus, rose again from the grave, and not everyone believes. People mock it. They're skeptic, skeptics of it. They don't even want to look at the evidence for it. Why is that? Because if you won't listen to the word of God, you certainly won't listen to uh, someone who, who has risen from the dead. And this is the point Jesus makes. Now, these are his, Jesus' observation about hell, wrought with torment, anguish in the flame. It's an awful reminder that, that for the unbeliever, this is as good as it gets. There's a great chasm between hell and heaven. There's no crossing from one to the other after you have died after you have faced the judgment. And the occupant of, of hell is in turmoil, and he's begging Abraham uh, to send Lazarus to, to tell his brothers. And the reminder is, if you won't listen to the word of God, you will not listen to one raised from the dead. Now, the question becomes for us, for each of us, no matter where you are, whether you're an unbeliever right now or whether you're a believer in Jesus, the question is, how do we respond to what the scripture is speaking to as the certainty of hell. Not a figment of our imagination, but certainty. I'll just make an observation here. It's like everybody wants to believe in heaven, but nobody wants to believe in hell. You cannot have one without the other. If there is no hell, there is no heaven, right? So 
we are biblically. So we have to understand this is certain. How do we respond? How do we respond as believers and unbelievers? The first thing is simply we just must recognize the certainty of hell. This isn't the only passage of Scripture in the Bible that speaks to uh, hell. Jesus, I'll just mention two others, Jesus teaching in other times uh, on other days in the Gospels in Mark chapter 9, verse 43. He's speaking to the issue of sin because sin is the problem. And he's speaking to people who want to come to him and want to walk with him and be his disciples. And he says, and if your hand causes you to sin, in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. So he's saying, look, like you've got to rid yourself of sin. The only way to do that is, is coming to Jesus in belief, knowing that he died for your sin on the cross. You better rid yourself of sin through that belief because it would be better for you, in this case, his illustration, his rabbinic hyperbole, is to cut your own hands off than to enter the unquenchable fire of hell with two hands. He's just assuming you get, you know, you understand sin will lead you straight to hell. Luke chapter 12, verse 44 and 5. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. He's saying, fear God, because God has the authority to judge through his son Jesus who goes to heaven who goes to hell? And so we must understand from the biblical perspective that hell is certain. Here's the second thing we, we need to get, whether we're a believer or unbeliever. We must understand that there is salvation from hell only found in Jesus Christ. So hear me and hear me well. No one who comes to the Father through Jesus will be separated from God. No one who comes through Jesus will go to hell. Everyone who rejects Jesus or does not access Jesus or does not believe in Jesus, according to the scriptures, will go to hell. Here's our great hope, understanding that salvation from hell, salvation from our sins comes in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 9, it says, but God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now, this is the goodness of God through Jesus. He's just extending to you an invitation to be saved from your sin, to be saved from the eternity of hell. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with us seated up, you, you, sorry, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So understand this, yes, there's a heaven, yes, there's a hell, Yes, we all die. Yes, there's judgment, but we can be saved from hell and to heaven through the grace given us by the death of Jesus Christ 
on the cross. We simply must believe. It's the only way out of an eternal destiny that includes hell. Now, third thing, and this is for believers. As believers, we must love people enough to warn them. And this is the thing, like we have forgotten this as believers. We say, even a value of our church is we, we love relentlessly. We say a, a key value for us is relentless love because we want to love like the Father does. We want to love like Jesus does. Love took Jesus all the way to the cross. I mean, we want to love like that. But as believers, do we love like that? Do we love in such a way that we are, we are uh, willing to put ourselves out there to warn people using the scriptures about a literal place called hell. That word warn that we get here that, that, that uh, is asked for in this passage of scripture, war, go warn my brothers. In Greek, it literally translates to solemnly exhort. So if hell is as certain as Jesus describes it, like Jesus describes it, and, and, and uh, relief would just be a drop of water on the end of the finger. And in life, we as believers carry a cup of cold water with us. We have living water pouring out of us. We have the answer. And we must love people enough to warn them using the scriptures. Romans chapter 5, 6 to 8 describes this love. It's found in Jesus. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That work he did on the cross was a work of love. We were still sinning. I wasn't even born yet when he did that. He knew I would sin. He, he, he saved me anyway by his work on the cross. So the question becomes, what about you? And let me just ask you a very clear question. Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? Are you certain? How could you be certain? There's only one way to know for sure. There's no religion that offers a clear way to know for sure except biblical Christianity. There's no other religion. Every other religion, you kind of have to earn your way there, work your way there. And if your good works outweigh your bad works, maybe, maybe you'll get in. And Christianity has nothing to do with your works, you being saved by, uh, from hell. It has everything to do with the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He became the substitute for us. He took the penalty of our sin and he transferred us, according to the scripture, from a kingdom of darkness, a destiny of hell, to a kingdom of light, a destiny of heaven. And simply, we must believe, Romans 10, 9, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let me ask you again, what about you? Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? The answer to that question is only found in Jesus. And let me encourage you, exhort you, warn you this morning that you need to today, today, because you don't know if you have tonight. You don't know if you have tomorrow. None of us know. You need to bow low before Jesus and in faith, Ask him for the forgiveness of your sins. 
confess him as Lord, believe that he died on a cross and raised from the dead and ask him to make you new, change your destiny for the future from hell to heaven and change you from the inside out now. That needs to be your first prayer, unbeliever. Or maybe maybe you're like the rich Jewish guy. You think because of what you had, where you were born and who your family is, you're going to heaven. And I'm just telling you, you're not. According to the Bible, that doesn't mean anything. The only thing that matters is, did you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead? Then you will be saved. You need to pray today and and confess and believe. And then many of us, we just need to really love people enough to tell them the whole story. That's what our job is, church. That's why you're doing church on the street. That's why you're praying for your neighbors. That's why you're going to share the gospel with them because this this is real. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's not a cartoon. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Here's what I'd like you to do this morning. If you've made a decision today, a spiritual decision to trust Christ for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins so that you will go to heaven when you die, I want you to text us like this, text the word response, R-E-S-P-O-N-S-E. Text the word response to 94090. We want to know you made that decision today, right where you are, wherever you are, because we want to come alongside of you and tell you what your very next step is. If you have prayed and you're praying, even if it's later today, and you pray to receive Christ and, and, and ask him to come into your life and forgive you and change your destiny... You text us and let us know. Text the word response to 94090. Also, if you need prayer, if you need to be baptized, if you simply need to rededicate your life, you just you text us as well. And we're going to send you, you're going to get an electronic card back. It's going it's to tell you exactly uh, how to tell us what your decision, your spiritual decision is today. Just text the word response to 94090. There are certain things that are for sure. Hell is for certain, according to the scripture. But the hope of Jesus, heaven, the good news that he died on a cross to save us from our sins, that is also for certain. And the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Would you bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we know that we need you. Your word is clear. We see what you taught about heaven and hell. We know that you say we can only come through you. Lord, I pray for my my friends, my family, my brothers, my sisters, everyone that is hearing this word. God, would you draw them by your spirit nearer to you And for those who don't yet believe, draw them to belief. Save souls today. Father, edify the church. Justify the sinner. Bring light to the darkness, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen.